1: Welcome to the pastor's study. Way back in 1975, I was in college. I was at a Bible study, and this man says, the year is 1975, this is the year. Financial disaster is coming this year. Don't buy a new house, don't buy a new car, basically the end is near. And what happened in 1975? Absolutely nothing. And you know what I learned? We don't have to believe everybody's prophecies about the end of the world. Um, What we're going to do today is learn what Jesus said about the end of the world. Would you take out a Bible, turn with me to Mark chapter 13, and let's see what are going to be the signs of the end. uh, Mark chapter 13, and let's pray first. Father, we do pray, whether we're in the end times or not, that each of us would be ready for that last day, because it could be tonight. God, bring people to Christ today and teach us now as we open your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus is going to die on the cross shortly, and so he takes his disciples on the Mount of Olives and gives. His second longest sermon, the only one longer, is the Sermon on the Mount. The sermon he's going to give here is called the Olivet Discourse because it's spoken on the Mount of Olives overlooking the temple. All right, and here's what Jesus says. Matthew chapter 13, verse 1. And as Jesus came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And that happened in 70 AD when the Romans went into Jerusalem, knocked down the city, destroyed the temple, not one stone on top of another. Here's the first lesson about the end of time. Do not live for material things of this world. Our TV show now is on, is on in Omaha, Nebraska. That's where I grew up. My dad ran the big Exarban horse racetrack in Omaha. And my dad was kind of a workaholic. He kind of lived for that racetrack. Well, if you live in Omaha, you know that the Exarban racetrack has been totally torn down. Not one stone left upon another. And I thought of my dad and how that would make him sad. But the point is don't live for the material things of this world they're gonna melt I mean i had a dream last night that i was talking to one of my relatives urging him to christ and my basic point was a hundred years from tonight we will all be in heaven or hell and a trillion years from that night we will all still be in heaven or hell and a trillion years from that night we will still be in heaven or hell You know. Christian, let's not get caught up in the puny, materialistic things of this world. Let's live for the eternal things. I have shared this many times, but the, the most powerful painting I've ever seen is the huge painting of Christ's second coming painted by Michelangelo in the 1500s. It's at the front of the Sistine Chapel in Rome. And in this huge painting, Jesus is coming down in the clouds The dead are being raised up to heaven, or they're being pulled down into hell. And in the middle of of the huge picture, you won't be able to see it very good, is this picture. I've got a little postcard of it. The look on the man's face, because he's just discovered he's going to hell for eternity. (laughs) Let's live for the eternal, not for the temporal. Let's look at verse 3. And as Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives and now begins the Olivet Discourse opposite the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately. And here's what they ask him, verse 4. Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when all these things are to be accomplished? Now, there's a problem here. Because if you read the same text in Matthew, Matthew's version, they ask the question this way. As Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives, his disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things, the destruction of the temple, be, and when will be the sign of your coming and the close of the age? In other words, in the disciples' minds, the destruction of the Jerusalem temple was going to happen on the same day of the end of the world. And so Jesus now will launch into his answer. Part of his answer refers to 70 AD. Part of his answer refers to the end of the world. And to figure out exactly which is which can be a bit difficult. <laughs> so um, here's the next lesson. Be humble about your end times views. And this woman said to me, Pastor, I saw this preacher on TV. He knew exactly when Christ was coming back, how it was going to happen. and He had it all sorted out with charts. And, and my point to her was be careful of people like that. I mean, look how wrong we got the first coming of Christ. (laughs) We killed him. And I think we'll all be a bit surprised exactly how the second coming pans out. Now, I'm I'm not saying we shouldn't talk about these Do you know, if you count the verses, I've been told the most frequent single topic in the New Testament is the second coming of Christ. So yes, study it, read it, believe it. But then be kind of humble that you don't know exactly how it's going to all pan out. I, I, I heard a speaker at the church one day. This speaker came in from Oklahoma, and he gave a message, and he was big on the pre-tribulation rapture. <clears throat> the Christians disappear before the second, the second coming of Christ seven years before. And I don't believe in that personally. <clears throat> but the preacher said, you know, if you don't believe in the pre-tribulation rapture of the church, well, then maybe you'll just be left behind. And I thought, talk about manipulating the crowd to get them to believe what you want. No, in, back in 1988, somebody wrote a book, 88 Reasons the Rapture Has to Happen in 1988. And people got enthralled by that book. It didn't happen. And you know, I think the guy had the gall to write a second book. 91 Reasons the Rapture Has to Happen in 1998. No, look, Jesus said no one knows the day or the hour be humble. Verse 5. And Jesus began to say to the disciples, see that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name saying, I am he, and they will mislead many. Here's the next lesson. False Christs are still appearing. Even in Jesus' day, before Jesus was born, there were false prophets who claimed to be the Messiah and they would get a band of followers and then the Romans would wipe them out. But there are still false prophets. Can I give you my opinion, the worst false prophet in world history? He was born in 570 A.D. Do you know who I'm talking about? Mohammed. Mohammed has led more people astray into a false religion than any other human on the planet. Let me give you another false prophet born in 1805, Joseph Smith, and he founds the Mormon religion, which is a false religion. And then, in 1821, Mary Baker Eddy was born and she founded the Christian Science cult. Then, in 1852, Charles Russell was born and he founded the Jehovah's Witness false religion. Uh, More modern times, in 1940, Wayne Dyer was born. He was, you know, with our tax dollars, he's been preaching his New Age religion on public television a lot. He died recently. Uh, A person who was born in 1948, Eckhart Tolle, that's Oprah's guru who preaches New Age religion. Uh, You remember Jim Jones? He claimed to be the Messiah. And then, of course, there was in in 1920, Reverend Moon was born in Korea, claiming to be the Second Coming. Now he's dead. I had some of these false prophets at my door. They were from the Moon Church, the Unification Church and they believe that the reverend moon is the second coming of christ and i said to them jesus said beware false prophets are coming but you'll know me when i come back because jesus said four things are going to happen he's going to come down in the clouds reverend moon hasn't done that he's going to raise all the dead reverend moon hasn't done that he's going to judge the world reverend moon hasn't done that and then the earth melts with fire we go to the new heavens and the earth And i say he hasn't done one two three or four he was a three dollar bill and now he's dead so just beware. Look at verse 7. <clears throat> and when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place first, but the end is not yet. Get this lesson. Wars do not indicate the end of the world. People say, well, there's so much wars all over the globe now and this conflict, it must be the end. Jesus is teaching just the opposite here. It is not the end. There have been lots of wars for 2,000 years. Look look at verse 8. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. These are but the beginning of the birth pangs. Next lesson. Earthquakes and famines are not proof of the end. You know, somebody said recently in the last five years, have you noticed all the hurricanes, all the tornadoes, all the earthquakes in America must be the end. And Jesus is teaching here just the opposite. It's just the beginning. It's not a sign of the end. You know, back in the middle ages, the death, the black plague wiped out one third of the population of Europe. They thought the end had come. Well, here we are 700 years later. It hasn't come. They asked Martin Luther back in the 1500s, Dr. Luther, what would you do if you knew today was the last day of the world? And he responded, I would plant a tree. Meaning, I want God finding me busy when he comes back, not staring up in the clouds doing nothing. Verse 9, but be on your guard, for they will deliver you over to the councils, and you will be beaten in synagogues and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them here's the next lesson the christian calling is to suffer and bear witness you can go to persecution.org and get it for free i get this every month persecution magazine it'll tell you about the beheadings in syria or the persecution in pakistan these are hard stories to read about what are beloved brothers and sisters in Christ are going through overseas. Uh, And every year they give the Hall of Shame, the 10 worst countries to be a Christian. Let me list some. North Korea, Iraq, Saudi Arabia, China, Pakistan, Eritrea, Egypt, India, Laos, and Indonesia. And as hard as it is to read these stories, listen to this story from this, quote, in Algeria, Even some of the most fanatical Muslims are coming to Christ. Ahmed was a famous Islamic preacher. His brother Kadiro had become a Christian and his life completely changed. Astonished at the change in his brother, Ahmed asked Kadiro about Jesus. Kadiro gave him a book about Christian salvation. Now the famous Muslim preacher is reaching Muslims by preaching the gospel of Christ. Every year about 1,500 Muslim converts to Christianity are baptized in Algerian churches. And the point is, our job on earth, Christians, is to suffer and to bear witness to Christ. Look at verse 10. And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. Here's one of the signs of the end. The gospel... The second coming won't happen until the world is fully evangelized. Now the question is, are we there yet? Has every nation heard the gospel? I think we're getting close. Um, Verse 11. And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say, but whatever is given you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. Here's the next lesson. The Holy Spirit is the answer to anxiety. I mean, the early Christians were understandably anxious that they had to go on trial for their lives. Jesus said, don't be anxious. The Holy Spirit will give you the words. You know, maybe you have a difficult meeting coming up, or you don't know what you're going to say to this person you have to confront. Just pray, God, fill me with your Holy Spirit and give me the right words. You know, some of the most difficult times of my life were those many years I was still in the evangelical Lutheran Church in America, the liberal branch of of Lutheranism in the country. Every year we had to go to those liberal synod conventions, and a small handful of conservative pastors and I would get to the microphone and confront the bishops and say things like, Why is our denomination paying for abortions with offering dollars? Why is pro-gay literature coming out of the bishop's office? And I want to tell you, those were horrible days for me. I I lost sleep the night before I had to say these things because I don't like confronting people. But you know what verses got me through? A verse like this. Do not worry ahead of time what you're going to say. The Holy Spirit will speak through you. So if you've got a difficult thing, pray for the Holy Spirit and just trust him. Having said that about this verse, don't abuse this verse. This verse does not mean that you can walk into your Sunday school class unprepared. (laughs) That's not what it's teaching. Years ago there was a big Christian revival in Toronto, Canada and I went up to it for two or three days. Big auditorium filled with Christians, wonderful Christian music and worship. But then the preacher got up and I think I heard him preach two or three times. No offense, he was terrible. I mean, he preached all over the... You didn't know where he was going. And you know what he said? (laughs) You know, I used to prepare my sermons. Now, I just let the Holy Spirit speak. And I'm thinking, would you go back to preparing your sermons, please? (laughs) You know, this verse does not mean you can be unprepared. The Bible says, study to show yourself approved. But when you need, under persecution, the right words, the Lord gives them to you. Look at verse 12 and brother will rise against brother and hand them over to death and the father his child and children will rise against parents and have them put to death here's the next lesson we are not promised deliverance from tribulation let me say something that I know I'll get emails but I'll say it anyway I don't believe in the pre-tribulation rapture of the church Many well-meaning Christian people, I don't doubt their faith at all, believe in something called the pre-tribulation rapture. Meaning, seven years before Jesus comes down in the clouds, all the Christians disappear and go to heaven. And then comes the tribulation and the Antichrist. Christians are going to miss all that. Well, I hope they're right. I just don't see it in the Bible. And the people that mail me the verses, you gotta look at this for, I don't think that it says what it says. And here's what people say, well, God would never make his church go through the tribulation. And I'm thinking, have you read about the first 300 years of Christianity? The Romans boiled us in oil, they threw this, us to the lions, Christians were frozen on lakes, they were tortured. And, and if you were to ask the Christians right now in Syria, do you think the church will go through the tribulation? They, they'd say, what do you mean will? <laughs> So, um, my, my point here is, Christians, we are, I think, going to go through the tribulation and Christ comes down and saves us at, that, at the end of it. That's my understanding of the Bible. And I get this from 1 Peter 2.21, For this you have been called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you might follow in his steps. Last verse, And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Last important lesson, only those who endure to the end will be saved. This lady says, Pastor Brock, I went to my uncle's funeral, godless man, never went to church, had no room for God, but the priest put him in heaven because he was baptized as a baby. And he said, this woman said, is that right, Pastor Brock? I said, no, that is not right. He who endures to the end will be saved. I'm a Lutheran. Let me tell you the Lutheran heresy. The Lutheran heresy, you get baptized as a baby, you got your ticket, you're going to heaven. The Baptist heresy is not much better. It goes like this. You pray the prayer, you ask Jesus into your heart, you got your ticket, you're going to heaven. (laughs) And Jesus says to the Baptist and the Lutheran, he who endures to the end will be saved. Many years ago, they were trying to discover the North Pole. There was an expedition. A Dr. Solander from Sweden was part of the exposition. All of a sudden, a horrible blizzard came toward the men. And he gathered them together and said, I know about these kinds of storms in my country. Maybe you don't. We have to turn around and go back to camp. You will be tempted to lie down and rest for just a moment. That means your circulation is slowing down. Do not Slap each other, hit each other, shake each other. Do whatever you have to, not to lie down, not for one minute. And they made it back. I think that is a picture of the Christian life. Satan is trying to get you and I to lay down, go to sleep just for a minute, and Jesus wants to shake us and remind us here, no, no, he who endures to the end will be saved. And that's my last question for you. Here's the question. Have you fallen asleep Maybe you were baptized years ago. Maybe you prayed and asked Jesus into your heart years ago, but you've fallen asleep. And can I just urge you, shake you, get back to going to church every week, get into a good Bible study, read your Bible, pray every day, because Jesus says, he who endures to the end will be saved. Amen.
2: Welcome to the portion of the Pastor Study, where we now ask Pastor Brock to share with us his knowledge of Scripture and his insights to answer questions we have regarding the Bible, our Lord, and our everyday walk with Him. Pastor Brock, you said that a person must endure to the end. Are you teaching that a person can lose their salvation? Well, let me try
1: to objectively give you two Christian viewpoints on that. The Calvinist view, there being on predestination, is that if God saves you, he's gonna keep you saved to the end. And you say to the Calvinists, well what about people that accepted Christ and fell away? The Calvinists would say they were never really converted to begin with. Then, I'm a Lutheran, Lutherans tend to believe you can lose your salvation. And to me, I believe it or not, even though I'm a Lutheran, I kind of lean toward Calvin on this one, but Jackie, There, the Bible is clear, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of salvation. And so I lean to believing that God saved me, he's going to keep me saved. But there's enough in the Bible, Jackie, that talks about the dangers of falling away that they can keep me on my toes. So can you lose your salvation? I get kind of squishy on this one and say I'm not exactly sure. But as long as you believe in Christ and are trusting in him, you're not losing your salvation. You, you kick Christ out of your life or live in a penitent sin, then you should worry.
2: Okay, are there basics of the second coming that all Christians agree on? Yes, there
1: are, Jackie. I'm glad you asked that because, Jackie, if I can just say this, when, when people write me because I don't believe in the pre-tribulation rapture, this is not the doctrine of the trinity. This is not salvation by grace alone through faith alone. This is a peripheral, peripheral issue. Um, so I think people that believe in the Pre-Tribulation, I think they're saved. Jackie, I think I'm saved. This is not a defining moment of, of salvation. But here's what everybody believes, regardless of the details. We all believe Jesus will return in the clouds. He said he would. We all believe in the resurrection of the dead at the end. We all believe Christ will judge the world. And we believe that Christ will take us to the new heavens and the new earth. Uh, First Peter three says this this earth will melt. So those are the basics we can all agree on.
2: Does, must everyone hear about the gospel before Christ returns? Well,
1: he says all the nations will hear about him. And you know, I think, uh, I think some people understand that that, that means all people groups, mm-hmm. with, even within those nations. So I don't know that every single human has to hear, but every nation, every people group, I think, is what Jesus is referring to. Yeah,
2: That makes it seem like it's more important to get missionaries out, but mm-hmm. we also need to deal with the people that are right around us, mm-hmm. too, though, that yeah. aren't getting a you know, foreign you, missionary. Exactly
1: come. right. You know, Jackie, when you and I were young, you had to go overseas to evangelize the Muslims. Now they're like next door. So God is bringing the Muslims and the Hindus right to us now, so we need to pray for them.
2: Okay, are there still nations that have not heard the gospel?
1: I don't specifically know of one country that doesn't have a missionary, that, but that doesn't mean they're not out there. Are there people groups, certain people groups that haven't heard the gospel? I think the answer is yes to that.
2: Are, can you, like where? Oh,
1: you know, maybe okay. South America somewhere in the Amazon. Okay.
2: I don't know. <laughs> does the Holy Spirit still speak through people today? He
1: does, because Jesus promised when you get persecuted, the Holy Spirit will speak through you.
2: So I believe He
1: does. Um, you just, like I said at the beginning of the sermon, though, the guy that knew that 1975 was going to be the beginning of the end, he was wrong. So not everybody who says they speak by the Holy Spirit is speaking by the Holy Spirit. That's why we need to be humble.
2: All right, the Mormons claim that the Holy Spirit worked through Joseph Smith. Yeah. Is that true or not? The
1: reason I know he didn't is because Joseph Smith, Jackie, if the Holy Spirit is working through Joseph Smith, then what he says is going to be consistent with what the Holy Spirit wrote in the Bible. Joseph Smith taught that God is not eternal. God became God on another planet and became our God. The the Bible doesn't have that. The Bible, you know what you show to uh, Mormons when they come to your door? The verse from Psalms where it says, from everlasting to everlasting I am God. God has always been God. He didn't become God. Mormons believe you can become a God and have a universe worship you. None of this is in the Bible. Therefore, Joseph Smith is not speaking by the Holy Spirit.
2: Yet, you know, Pastor Brock, there's one thing to say for the Mormons. Their people go out and and do witness. witness sure do. And and, you know,
1: when I see those two Mormon young men on their bicycles, I pray for them. You know my prayer? Lord, may they be influenced upon rather than influencing. I, when they come to my door, I talk to them. You know, And I just pray that the, we Christians will have the, the gall and nerve, lovingly, humbly, to, to tell them, you're wrong.
2: I think two of the Jehovah Witnesses that are door so faithful going yeah. door to yeah. door to share the gospel yeah. And you know, you may fault their religion right. and their beliefs, but yeah. you, their zeal. Yeah. If we could have every Christian have yeah, that much zeal.
1: Indeed, that's good.
2: So we're down to the last minute yeah. of our show, Tom. Do sure. you want to give a little update about? You bet, what that everybody.
1: Means? Well, you know, thank you so much for praying for this ministry. People say to me, Pastor Brock, I watch you every week, and now we're on all over the country through Dish uh, Network and Direct TV, and we're on various cities now, but all over the country on those venues. Pray for us. This takes a lot of money to, to get on the air. If the Lord nudges you to support us, you'll see the address at the end. But God bless you, and we'll see you next time at the Pastor's Study.
0: Thank you for watching the Pastor Study.